Welcome everyone to the Changemakers podcast. I'm Catalina and I'm curious about change. I am interviewing people around the world who are driving positive, impactful change within themselves, their communities, their field of work and the world. Today we have a super inspiring changemaker sharing her story, Matilda Sundake, who wants to facilitate cultural change within organizations by empowering and enabling people to thrive, to live purposefully and to facilitate change within the place they spend most of their time in, at work. Matilda has had a very interesting journey with many shifts that ultimately have shaped her to who she is today. So tune in this episode for some interesting insights on career shifts, finding your authentic self, starting your freelance journey, empowerment at work, and storytelling. Uh, welcome, Matilda, to the Changemakers podcast. Um, I'm really excited about our discussion, and I'm really excited where this uh, conversation will take us. So. Um, welcome. Thank you. Uh, and let's just uh, kick start into it. Um, if you could just introduce yourself, a little bit about your background, and then uh, what you're currently busy doing. Sure. Um, so I'm uh, Swedish, uh, but currently for the past uh, six years have been living in Amsterdam, uh, where I uh, live together with my boyfriend. Um, I, uh, my background is um, uh, in journalism, actually. So uh, at the very, at a very young age, I kind of decided that I wanted to tell stories and and then specifically write stories. Um, so I went to uh, university after high school, and I took a bachelor in journalism and actually in anthropology, uh, which at the time I. Um, when I was in it, I had no idea why I did it. I was, I remember sitting at so many classes and just thinking, what am I doing here? Uh, I didn't feel like I learned that much. I didn't see the value of the learnings. Um, but then uh, 10 or almost what is it? Yeah, 12 years later, it's actually my absolute biggest asset um, to have uh, kind of a... Um, uh, knowledge on humanity and what makes a human and what are the different things that affect us in us becoming who we are and why we exist essentially so uh, that's super interesting but so yeah so my my ambition in life was to tell stories uh, and kind of be the voice of those who didn't really had one um, so uh, I planned to specifically write about women and women that are not, um, yeah, just not allowed to have a voice. Um, so, so that was kind of my ambition for a pretty long time. Um, but then out of a coincidence, um, I started working at Hyper Island, which is an educational company based now, uh, kind of all over the world, but uh, uh, it's founded in Sweden uh, 25 years ago. Uh, so I joined Hyper Island uh, with the incentive to stay for two weeks. Um, and now, 10 years later, here I'm still a part of Hyper Island. Um, and I have to say Hyper Island is also um, by far the company that has shaped me the most to being who I am today. Uh, both when it comes from a kind of a professional path, but also a personal path. 
so I stayed at Hyper Island for um, as a full-time employee for about four years, uh, working mainly with marketing and recruitment, and recruitment in the terms of recruiting students to move into uh, Sweden and to move and join Hyper Island as a student. Um, but at that time, Hyper Island was quite small. Um, we were only around, uh, probably when I joined, maybe 10 people uh, globally. And today we're over 100. So it's it's had quite an exponential growth uh, over the past 10 years. Um, and um, yeah, and I stayed. But then when you're that small, we all worked kind of in, like in a startup mentality. So everyone... Sure, you had your area of business that you were in charge of, but you also kind of leaned in into other areas. So I did a little bit of everything. I facilitated, I designed workshops, I delivered, I did marketing, I did, you know, I recruited, I did admissions, I did a lot of different things. So coming from a very clear purpose in being the voice for those who didn't have one into all of a sudden I was this branding and marketing space um, I was quite confused so I decided to uh, make my uh, second shift which was to go from so the first one was going from being a journalist into being a brand marketeer and then I felt like that was too generic for me so I felt like I needed a space to um, to focus my ambitions a little bit more. So I went actually to Hyper Island, but in Manchester uh, as a student. And prior to that, I had worked at Hyper Island in Stockholm and I had worked at Hyper Island in New York. So I was kind of like, I liked living abroad. I wanted to test that again. So I moved to Manchester where I took a, a master. Um, I had a huge life crisis in the middle of it, uh, mainly because what Hyper Island is doing is that it doesn't only focus on what you're doing, but also how you do it. Um, and most... Um, most people, I mean, I can only talk for me, but my biggest kind of takeaway from being a student at Hyper Island was the personal growth. Uh, so it was to get the set of tools to self-facilitate uh, reflection sessions and seeing and identifying areas where I could grow. Um, so I did that and then... Um, uh, I um, came out of it with a strategy. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a job offer from Adidas. So I moved to Amsterdam, uh, working for Adidas in a global role, which is amazing, but it's also quite challenging being such a big company. So you're kind of servicing both uh, uh, business units uh, and local markets. So it's quite a, a abstract role. Uh, but I was working in a team called, uh, I'm not sure if it still exists, but it was called Digital Experience. And it was basically everything that a consumer would experience with your brand. And we were, the team I was in was mainly focusing on um, the relationships with the different platforms of social media. And um, after that, I got a job offer from Vice, uh, which was, of course, very different because Adidas is a very big company and Vice is, yes, a very big company too, but in a completely different way of working. So 
I went from a quite a large brand into a small kind of agency setup. Um, so I uh, sat in there, um, not the editorial team, but in the branded content team, which is called Virtue, where I developed more or less content strategy um, for other brands. So how do you tell how do you tell your stories through the lens of um, and tone of voice of vice more or less and then after about a year I think I came to my uh, where is it third shift so then I I felt okay you know what I've been employed for the past almost 10 years um, but I'm done so I'm like done with um, reporting into others I'm done with um, constantly adjusting my own learning development and my learning curve into what other people think I should learn and when I should learn it and how I should learn it. Um, so I took a little leap of faith. Uh, it's the absolute most scary decision I've ever taken to live a full-time secure permanent job and jumping out into the unknown more or less. Um, but I decided that I'm going to give myself three months to try to get my first job as a freelance strategist. And if I manage, I'm going to uh, try it for another month and then another month. And here I am three years later. Um, and it's been a, an insane journey. It's been uh, both from a, obviously from a growth perspective. So I've never grown as much uh, in a professional role and a personal setting I think as I have in the role of running my own company because it's you're on your own you know and I'm coming from Hyper Island where one of the foundation values are I'm so used to working in teams and I really thrive from both being uh, led in a team and leading a team and just coming out of that and being on my own um, was quite challenging but um, but the the learning curve of self-leadership has been crazy. So that's kind of where I am now. And um, for the per first two years, I only uh, more or less only did uh, strategies. So I did like content strategy. I did a lot of communication, a lot of influencer, PR. And today I focus more on, I support other companies in um, how do we become more purpose-centric? So how do we lead and create impact, not only for ourselves as a business, but for people around us and the world around us, essentially? So I guess that in uh, marketing terms, you would call that more brand strategy, I guess. But I'm not so, so into the roles, so I wouldn't really know. So that's where I am today. And um, once you uh, kind of... Um, uh, immerse yourself into the world of Hyper Island. You never really live. So after graduating from um, the Masters program in Manchester, I stayed on as a collaborator. So I was industry leader, which means that you design and deliver projects um, for students. I was a mentor. I've been doing a lot of speaking sessions for students. Um, and today I work two days a week um, leading the alumni community. Wow, it's, wow. <laughs> it has been a really impressive long journey with many shifts. Um, yes. And um, 
the shifts have been um, quite early on in my, I don't necessarily like the word career. I, I like the word journey a bit more, like learning. But in the first couple of years in my learning journey, I was quite, um, I almost wanted to hide the fact that I have shifted. Uh, and today it's one of the things I'm the most proud of. Because without the first, I wouldn't have done the second. And without the second, I wouldn't have dared to do the third. And and I think that's something when I mentor today or when I teach today, I always say, you know, if something feels good and you have a willingness to try it, try it. Because you can always do something different the next time around, you know, so. Yeah. yeah. How, how, come, how come you are kind of, hiding the fact that you you did the first shift um i think for the beginning like when i went to school and when i was just about to go out and try to get a job and i feel like i always heard from people around my network or from people that were senior to me that oh, uh, why have you changed job twice? Or, you know, you should always stay at a company for at least a year because that looks good on your resume. Or, you know, all those kind of old ways of thinking and old ways of looking at people and growth and learnings. And I think for the first part of my, my own learning journey, that was quite essential for me that, okay, I have to conform myself into what other people think of me. But now... At some point, I just realized that it's not about other people's perception of me. It's about, you know, how I want to change and how I want to lead that change myself. And instead of hiding something that I thought other people wouldn't appreciate it, I started seeing the potential in, oh, but okay, I've actually experienced different cultures because I've um, both different, you know, uh, work cultures, but also different cultures from the view of I lived in different places and I uh, if I identified that I wasn't happy then I left you know instead of just being there because it, it would look good on my CV or staying in a role because that's what you're supposed to do because you're supposed mm -hmm. to have a linear journey um, and mine has been everything but linear I would say <laughs> I think that's more and more people actually Uh, are embracing that kind of lifestyle of mm. um, going more with their gut feeling and changing if something doesn't feel right. Um, I actually wanted to pick your brain on this looking good on your resume thing because yeah. I've I've experienced a lot of people saying that you know you should go and work, let's say, for a big bank or a big brand or this huge corporation. Yeah. Uh, for like a year because it's just going to look good on your resume and after that you can do whatever you want and I'm just always wondering is it worth that kind of like if you don't identify with that corporation and you hate for example the company mm. or you don't feel good there should you actually kind of sacrifice that year just because then it will open more doors yeah I mean for me now it's a big no Uh, but I also understand, you know, being being a younger, more junior, a more junior person, either because you have decided to make a shift in your career or because you're just straight out of school or, you know, I also understand it. It's a tricky world out there and you need to 
often, you know, you like that old, um, which I think also is slowly uh, becoming less and less important. But I al- always felt when I was younger that, you know, you were supposed to have worked for 15 years and you were supposed to be young. So it was always like that contradictory way of hiring people and 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 getting the right set of skills. So I think, I mean, I think that's a, sometimes I do think it could be good to challenge yourself and to go into an industry that you find like, okay, this might be good for my resume, but it's not necessarily something that I want to do. But okay, but what happens if when you're in there and you see that, there's a lot of potential to change that industry that you also don't necessarily uh, connect with. Uh, that could also be, you know, a challenging way of, of going head first. But I would never do that again. So I wouldn't just go to a place for the sake of it looking good on my CV. I think it's it has way more impact on on your resume and on yourself as a as a human being to go somewhere where you feel like you can make a huge impact and where you feel like you can be driven by other things than just a CV. Because I also think that resumes just becoming less and less interesting, at least for me. I much rather look at a person for, mm-hmm. you know, for the traits that they have, for the ability to, to work together with others, for the ability to, to, to transform themselves and to transform industries in order to, to create more impact for the world and to, to, to actually lead that change that is needed rather than going to a bank because it looks good on your CV. Then go to the bank and change, you know, change the way potentially banks works. I've never worked in a bank, but. <laughs> nice. Um, you mentioned before that um, at Hyper Island, you kind of, it made maybe the biggest impact on you um, as a person. Uh, could you maybe elaborate a little bit more on that? How how do you feel like Hyper Island unlocked maybe your potential or how did it empower you as a person? And uh, if you could draw a parallel to, you know, Hyper Island versus traditional education uh, programs. Sure. Um I mean, first of all, the first thing, the first week uh, you go through at Hyper Island as a student is called the Way Week, um, and it's um, it's uh, the methodology of uh, the way to learn, like the way of learning when you go through Hyper Island, which is quite unique, I think, compared to other programs and other schools, and uh, mainly from the point of view that as I was mentioning before, that you don't only focus on the what, but you also focus on the how. So it's not just uh, reaching uh, defined results, but it's also to grow as individuals and as a group. So you kind of grow together through process. And the first week, uh, one of the first um, assignments that you get is to stand in front of uh, whatever size group, but 45 people that you probably never met before and present the two things that shaped me as a human. So that's like one of the first things that you do, which is quite, um, for me, it was quite intimidating and it's quite um, personal. So already by doing that, you create a very safe space because I shared this about me and I listened in on you sharing that about you. So already there we have a connection. 
And Hyper Island also, so given that they're focusing a lot on the how, in, so the process, um, also allows you to uh, get a set of tools that uh, supports you in uh, changing and in how do you, you know, like how do you continuously change regardless of the situation around you? So you're not so scared of change once you go through Hyper Island. Because, they, and that comes from the, um, you know, like technology is changing fast, uh, history faster than ever before. So how do we keep up with that change? And how do we lead that change? And that's the main kind of, I think that's what sets Hyper Island aside from other schools and other programs. And I think that's also why when you ask, so I work with our alumni now, and when you ask alumni, what was the, what was your biggest learning about, um, at Hyper Island? Um, and then they, almost all of them say, uh, it was the things I learned about myself. And that's because, you know, um, there's two really big, to, like big tools that is essential in every um, every program and in every project of the programs and that's reflection so self-reflection and um, feedback so you give you learn how to give each other constructive feedback so that you could grow not only as a team but as an individual uh, could you see that approach to, to education um, applied on a bigger scale could you imagine, let's say, university programs, um, besides the amount of knowledge that they try to push into students to actually give them the space to uh, learn more about themselves? Could you see that hyper-island attitude towards uh, learning and self-learning applied on a bigger scale? 100% yes. And that's because... So Hyperion is also experience. Every everything with Hyperion is experience based learnings. So there's no teachers, there's no textbooks, there's no one telling you what to learn and how to learn it. It's like this is um, the project. You know what are you gonna make out of that project? So when I go in as an industry leader, for instance. Um, then it's up so then I get learning outcomes. So this is what the students are supposed to learn uh, as in terms of uh, outcomes. So this is what the students can expect that they should get out of the project. And then it's me as a person coming from the industry to design a learning experience that meets those learning outcomes. So usually I lead the branding and communications project. So then I bring in uh, experts in branding and in um, how do you define a purpose for a brand and how do you create uh, content that uh, adds value and not just you know try to push a consumer from A to B um, how do you design impactful communications and how do you craft stories so those kind of things so you always bring in experts so everything is experience based so you never you never get told what to learn and how to learn it. It's up to you. Usually they say, so, um, and now actually I do it too when I do workshops and stuff. Um, you have this analogy of a tennis ball and like you say, the, har uh, the harder you bounce, the higher the tennis ball flies. So like the, har the more energy you put into a project, the more you will get out of it. 
So I definitely think so. I think both from a experience based learning uh, and I think from the uh, process and self development part, I think a lot of universities can apply those kind of ways of learning. Mm-hmm. So I'm very, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Hyper Island. <laughs> Uh, I mean, say, same with me, actually. I've never been through the program itself, but I've uh, used a lot of the tools um, from, from the toolkit. Um, yeah, and I'm really fond of the whole educational approach and philosophy. Um, I was wondering about this shift that you made from, from working for an employer to become your own boss. Um, how did you kind of experience this being an employee versus being a freelancer? And how did you overcome the many challenges that come, you know, with this uh, big decision? Yeah. Um, first of all, from a very practical point of view, I um, once I decided that it was time to leave um, a full-time permanent position, um, I saved money. So that was kind of a very, that's a very practical, um, a very practical thing. But I, I just felt like, because I've always been quite financially response, like I've had the need to have a control over the finances. So not, you know, like just throwing myself out there without reading or thinking about it. So I started by like saving so that I knew I had um, two months that I could pay my rent, I could, you know, buy basic, the basic things that I needed. Um, and once I had that, um, then I quit. And then I knew that, okay, I have two months uh, or three months uh, to to make this happen. And then um, uh, quite early or almost, yeah, I think almost from the beginning, I've actually um, got Adidas as... Uh, as a client so they asked me if I wanted to come back and do freelance work for them Um, so that was a very I had a very soft landing into the freelance industry I think because it was a brand that I loved working for it was I knew about the Mm -hmm. uh, I knew about the culture and I knew about the way of working Uh, so it was quite a safe space to go into and then from that I just you know I just challenged myself quite a lot of times so I went into projects in the beginning that I felt quite insecure about but that I figured you know I'm just going to do it and see what comes out of it and for every project I learned something new um, I challenged myself I really stretched my comfort zone um, I failed I learned from it I tried it again Sometimes I failed again, and then I learned again, and then eventually I just succeeded. Then um, I kind of went in with that approach in every project that, okay, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to see what comes out of it. If if I fail, I will just learn from it and then take it to the next kind of phase and the next step. And eventually, you know, you just, um, yeah, you just... Again, like back to two of Hyper Island's core values, you know, you learn by doing and you learn by failing. And that's just kind of the the way of, of, of leading. And as I mentioned before, it was many times I felt quite alone because it's a, it's a lonely, it's a lonely job, you know, working as a freelancer for yourself. And then of course you team up with others. I 
working with a couple of uh, amazing creatives that I, I worked with at Vice, who's now also freelancers. We've done a lot of projects together. Mm-hmm. And then one thing, so one of my biggest learnings leading up to becoming a freelancer was to set expectations. So if you don't set expectations in a project, someone will always be disappointed. Either it's me, my managers, or um, the client. So they will always be disappointed. So someone will always be disappointed. So that was one of my, the first thing that I always did when I had a new project. It was to set expectations. Like, this is what you can expect as an outcome, and this is what I will deliver upon. Do you agree? Yes or no? Yes. Okay, then I do the project. Um, and it's been proven to, to work quite well, actually. Um, and then, you know, slowly you gain confidence and slowly you get asked for projects where you feel like, you know what, I could do this, um, but it will be super, super stretching the zone. It won't really be something that I necessarily want to do. And then I would just say it. Then I would just say, you know what, I can do this project for you, uh, but this person can do it better. And at the end of the day, I want you to be successful. I want myself to be successful. So people are, you would be surprised how appreciative people are when you're just transparent. And because at the end of the day, they're hiring you for delivering on something. And that's also when being a freelancer, it's also quite, um, it's a quite, um, how do you say, like unemotional job a lot of times. You go in, you briefed, you deliver, you go out. I, I, and maybe this is this is an assumption from being a strategist. Maybe it's different depending on what you do. But most of the time you just go in, you deliver the strategy, you go out and you don't take part in the final project or like in the fi- final uh, outcome or product. Maybe you can, you know, recognize that as well being a strategist that often you know mm-hmm. you're there up until a certain mm-hmm. point and then you're more like a sparring partner throughout the project exactly yeah exactly it's it's most of the times that uh basically strategists are kind of the stars at the beginning of a project because you know mm-hmm. there are many things to be set up and once the strategy set in place there is more kind of yeah. just an observer <laughs> of the process yeah and when i've been at, um i've done a couple of uh, uh, like teaching sessions on what is strategy what's the future of strategy and what's the role of a strategist and i often say like uh, the most important role of a strategist is to of course be the kind of the guardian of the consumer and make sure that the consumer point of view is is, is central to the outcome um, of the project, but also to just be a cheerer for creatives, because if you're in a creative agency, I mean, then it's not an easy job, you know, you constantly just sit and come up with ideas. So I often say like, you should just be that very positive sparring partner with creatives to make sure that, you know, to kind of enable them to to reach their full potential. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. Looking a little bit at the culture shift, which is basically your own company. Um, yeah. I was wondering, why do you think we have to talk about a culture shift? So kind of where is this name coming from? Um, and what was the status quo, you know, that we should be talking about a shift in the culture in the first place? 
Yeah, so um, the, how do you say it? Like the, the birth, oh, it sounds horrible, but like the starting point of culture shift was me, uh, was everything that I've done the past 10 years leading into exactly this. And then it was both the things that I had done from a professional kind of work and what point of view, but also the experiences that I've had in working cultures. Um, and I've been in, I've been working in great, super thriving cultures, and I've been working in pretty bad cultures. And what separates the two is leadership. So it's, um, it's good leaders and then it's bad leaders. And I think it's really important that, um, we, um enable you know that we have people inside companies that enables other people to grow now that's a leader for me a leader is not someone that is the loudest in a meeting or you know that is like pushing every single person to its uh, to its like limits it's a person who sees the potential in the individual and that see what that person needs in order to grow and to thrive because if you have people that feel empowered and feel heard, then they're going to have a tremendous impact on your business. And it's not like I'm in this naive space where I say, oh, you know, uh, you're running a business, but don't think about the business, only think about the people. If you have one, you will have the other. But if you lead from a business-centric point of view, Yes, you will make money short term, but you will never survive long term. You need to, you need to find a way to um, uh, enable other people to grow within and with your company. Because, like, I think sometimes I think leaders can uh, underestimate the power of their people, of engaged and passionate people. Um, they just think, you know, you come in, you're supposed to do this um, and just do it. Just deliver on and I will evaluate you based on performance. I don't necessarily believe that that's the only thing that you should be evaluated on. I think there's also, you know, um, how have you been growing uh, uh, as a human being and as part of this team for the past year? And what impact has that growth made on our business? And that could be in uh, numbers, but it could also be in, um, you know, people um, uh, loving to go to work because of the way the culture is built in that workspace. Um, I think that's really important. So that's uh, essentially why I started um, Culture Shift, because I wanted to... Um, I wanted to support um, leaders of today and leaders of the future to uh, assist, like just to enable other people to grow and to empower people to do so. Mm -hmm. And talking about uh, personal growth and empowerment, because um, you mentioned that when people feel empowered, you know, they give 160% and this is reflected in their work. This is reflected in their happiness. Yeah. Um, when do you know that a person is empowered or what does it mean to be empowered? Yeah, so empowered is, a, is an interesting word I, that I've actually reflected a lot upon the past couple of months. Because for me, it was when I started the culture shift, it was 
instantly it was it's about empowerment you know it's about when you feel empowered uh, by others you will empower people around you which will essentially lead to whatever it is that you want it to lead to but empower is is also so on the other side of that coin it's it almost insinuates that you're not in power at the moment you know you're not feeling like you have the ability to uh, lead or grow or shift or whatever the question may be so it's it's a it's an interesting word that i'm uh, reflecting quite a lot about uh, or around but i think essentially um uh, empowerment is to feel you know is to feel trusted and to to feel like people for instance that you work together with is is trusting your ability to do whatever it is that you're set out to do so it's a trust in yourself and it's a trust from others and it's trust in others um and it's to to giving other people a platform and enablement to uh, grow or lead so it's like but it's a it's a it's an interesting word so ask me again in like six months and see where I where I land around that <laughs> because my own personal purpose has for the past uh four years when I kind of discovered that that was important is to empower people around me um so I think um yeah so I might have to go on a little soul searching self-reflective journey in the next couple of months <laughs> noted i will come back to you then in six months with the same question <laughs> what has um, come out of that is um at least that as a way of living to live more purposefully that's something that i believe a lot in and you know it it can sound very like fluffy and very like uh, privileged and very you know like oh but everyone can just walk around uh, living their purpose you know but I believe that it's not purely in what you do you know it's why you do it and this is that it goes both for yourself as an individual and where your purpose as your inner compass for instance, or a task for me. So it's been it's been very helpful to understand when something feels right and when something doesn't feel like a path I want to take, both career-wise but also personally. Um, and then you have purpose as a company or as a brand mm-hmm. where it's um, uh, very much what Simon Sinek, which is obviously this amazing pioneer within um, uh, purpose and the why, what he says is, so if you can clearly communicate uh, why you're in the business of, then people will uh, emotionally connect with that in way more stronger ways than what you do. So you could sell you know, a chair or you can sell uh, a computer, but it doesn't really matter if, you, if people don't understand why you do that and why there's an impact. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And talking about impact, uh, what would you say is impactful change for you? Um, And along those lines, um, how do stories and the power of storytelling relate to creating uh, this impactful change? Um, So I mean the impact for, so both from a very like kind of, we're changing, right? So the world is changing. Technology is a driving force for change the world around us is changing you know when it comes to sustainability to you know we're not accepting anymore that it's such an unequality world like it's unacceptable so those kind of like bigger 
more abstract questions um, or topics, they need, we need to have change makers. We need to have people that are leading that change. Um, and um, um, so, so you know, we need to like we need to find ways of uh, giving people, for instance, the ability to lead that change um, and 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 create the impact that is actually needed. And I think, I think you know, when it comes to if that's on an individual level or on a kind of brand purpose level, we need to tell stories about it so that we can influence others, so that we can communicate why this change needs to happen and how people can either, you know, um, uh, contribute to that change or just, you know, be aware of the change that is needed. And then, you know, everyone can do something but maybe not one single person can do everything. But if we all kind of pitch in and, and lead that change that is needed together, then then that will create an impact. So I think the role of stories is very important. And then I think from a very like kind of, um, how do you say, like I also think why create so much content that doesn't really add value? For me personally, that's not so interesting anymore. So I think it's more interesting to lift up people that are creating real change and that is 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 essential to all these kind of abstract questions and topics Mm -hmm. that we need to solve within the near future if we all want to survive Mm -hmm. and i think we're more you know we're we're constantly being like force fitted with all these like content everywhere and i think the stories that stand out is the stories that one we emotionally connect with because it has something that i feel like i can relate to or it's it's something that sparks an emotion in me or it's you know stories that is uh, one way or another adding value to the path that i'm in or that i'm at um so i think the power of stories is is we've only seen the you know the beginning of that in what ways stories will have an impact on us and i mean what you're doing now is amazing the podcast that's also a means of storytelling right Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, I mean, many times uh, during these interviews, I ask people the same question. What do they mm-hmm. think? Why do, do they think stories are so important? And, you know, it always comes back to yeah. this whole emotional aspect that as humans, you know, we, we like to think that we're rational beings, but in the end, you know, we live by emotion. So it's important to have stories that trigger that. Yeah, for sure. And that is relevant, that that is like adding value and it's not just there to kind of, you know, take up the white space and just to take up like space in our brains, but that we can learn from, change from them. Definitely. Um, Towards the end of this discussion, um, I would like to look a little bit in the future uh, and ask you what um, is the change that you would like to create or see uh, in your lifetime? Um, so for others, I mean, I think it's the, the, the bigger topics that I talked about. I mean, inequality is unacceptable. Uh, what we're doing to our planet, we need to find new ways of, you know, working with, um, with the resources that we have as a planet. Actually, as a, a recommendation for the uh, next podcast, I would recommend uh, uh, not only my best friend, but also um, an amazing role model, which is my uh, three-year-older sister. 
uh, who's um, currently on this quest of um, uh, changing how we're using uh, the resources of the planet today and how we can kind of emphasize and create impact with that. So I would totally recommend you to talk to her, if not for the podcast, so for your own inspiration. Um, so I think that's, uh, I mean, it's just for me, it's so given, we just need to see a change in that. And I think for me, as what I'm doing with culture shift, uh, at the end of the day, we're all humans. And I think um, if I can you know, contribute in uh, uh, people seeing, you know, their own ability to lead change and to to do that within the space where they spend most of their time in, which is at their work. I, you know, I want to contribute to that. So currently I'm working on, uh, so I have these different learning designs that I work with both on an individual level, but also with uh, companies um, and I'm currently creating a guide um, for uh, small to medium-sized companies where they can self-facilitate uh, cultural change. So how do they enable people to thrive? And currently I'm using the methodology of Ikigai, which is Japanese for live purposefully. And it's a methodology that has been mm-hmm. uh, around for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's this amazing book on it. Uh, I can share it with you, so maybe you can share it with your um, change maker community. Uh, and it's just an amazing, uh, amazing methodology and way of, of living. And I just want to kind of incorporate that into more companies, uh, mainly to to give as many people and companies the possibility to change and to create impact in whatever way they see that. And maybe specifically in this case, it's within their own uh, company cultures. Sounds amazing. Awesome. Thank you, Matilda, so much for this discussion. Uh, It has been awesome to hear your journey so far and uh, to learn from your learnings um, and reflect uh, back uh, on my personal journey. And I'm sure the listeners will also uh, take away a lot of interesting insights and pieces of advice. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I feel so uh, honored that you want to listen to me. I talked so much. Now I can <laughs> drink a liter of water and just go out into the sun here in Amsterdam and just... Awesome. thank you so much for uh, asking me and for listening and, and uh, we uh, thank you. stay in, in touch right definitely thank you everyone for listening this is the changemaker podcast a series of interviews with people driven to create a positive impact in their communities and the world if you like this episode make sure to reach out Stay positive, follow your dream, and make this world a better place. See you next week.